Welcome to Monday Matters with Holly Cochran. Holly is a wife, mom, coach, and entrepreneur. She wears these and many more hats while running three successful businesses, a gym, online counseling and nutrition program, and commercial cleaning company. She brings a unique perspective to everyday life with her spicy, no-nonsense attitude. Holly helps her clients keep it simple with small tweaks that over time add up to big life changes. With that, let's get on with today's episode. Here's my friend, Holly Cochran, an incredible human you need to be listening to every Monday. Hey guys, as I promised, I'm getting to interview somebody exciting that I have been wanting to have a conversation with since I started stalking on Instagram. So welcome, Adam Lorenz from Saskatoon. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Monday Matters podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. So I just wanted to let you take a minute and introduce yourself, what you do up in Saskatoon and how you got to being able to do uh, what I think is a, a dream job or jobs. You, I think you run three different companies. So how do you get to do all the good things all wrapped up in one package? <laughs> uh, a lot of hard work. Jeez, <laughs> um, that's a tough question. Um, I think it has to do with just prioritizing your time and, and knowing what it is that you like to do and making it happen. Um, I have... I have done, I guess, a bit of a a juggling act of trying to do the registered psychologist thing and still teach the kickboxing and teach the teach the Brazilian jiu jitsu and do the mixed martial arts thing. And I think I, yeah, I developed it from a young age watching my dad work so hard. And hey, here we are. (laughs) Here we are. So just tell my folks that are listening today what what it is that you do. What do you do during the day? And what do you do then when your hat switches over to the evening? So I am a a registered psychologist. I work in private practice. So I like, I have my own studio on my property. It's separate from my house. So I see clients all day, every day. Um, And then in the evenings and weekends, and it used to be more times during the day, but I've had to cut back on how many daytime lessons I've been doing. Um, Yep. And I own Modern Martial Arts Center with a few other fellows, and we've got mixed martial arts all day, every day. So it's a combination of kickboxing. It's called Bang Muay Thai. So I'm a, I'm a sensei in, in that. I've got a black belt under Dwayne Ludwig to be teaching that kickboxing and yep. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I'm also a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And so I teach a lot of Jiu-Jitsu and it's a it's a really busy place between all the kids and adults. We have definitely probably over, probably close to 300, 300 members, I guess. Total. Wow, that's probably fantastic. So we've got both those things going on. Yeah. And then pre-COVID, I was also trying to run professional mixed martial arts cards because myself coming up, fighting professionally, coming from Saskatchewan where you can't get bouts, it was almost impossible to make it anywhere with your dreams. So I was trying to give my guys, my my folks, opportunities to compete as well. So it's and a lot. <laughs> are you still trying to run those now, or that had to take a back seat after COVID? You know what? I would like to bring it back. At first, I put it on the back burner because it's a large investment, and then if we were to get canceled due to like a, a COVID restriction or some of that, you'd be out tens of thousands of dollars right. instantly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. pretty much set it, and then people have to show up and buy tickets. To hopefully break even and make all that investment back. Yeah. Um, and then since then, now it's just been I've been in the office and in the gym 
all day, every day. So yeah, you have two you know, full-time jobs. Trying to find so that's that, probably yeah. lots. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And two kiddos, two beautiful boys. And two young boys. How old are your kids? They are five and eight. Five so and eight. They are so, also training at my gym now. Yes. I heard that in your podcast that you have both of them training there. That's <laughs> great. My kids both are in my gym and like to one more than the other as far as competitiveness goes. But I have girls that have grown up in the gym for sure. Mm. Yeah. Mm, love them Yeah. These boys are too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So as a parent, what do you think? And, and we're going to talk a little bit about teenagers today because I know you work with teenagers, mm -hmm. but not necessarily um, negating the fact that our eight-year-olds and our five-year-olds can go through a lot nowadays as well. But what do you think is the most challenging thing that a majority of our teenagers are facing today? What do you, what do you have to deal with kids the most? <laughs> well, well, of course, like, you know, the social media and things like that, like we all know that that's a thing and never in human history, like you go back, you know, our hundreds or thousands of years that we've been around, never have we carried around this communication device in our pocket at all times. It's full of all the information in the world, correct yeah. information, wrong information, you name it, right? Um, all sorts of, all sorts of things in our pocket nowadays. And it's it's not just the social media it's not just the phones that also connects to our peer orientation never before has teenagers become more peer attached than than parent child attached than than now like right. it is natural to want to push away from parents because you know 14 15 year olds back in the day used to be moving out and starting their own farms and families and things like right. that right but never before have we been raised less by the adults and less by the community in general yes. and more getting more horizontal transmission of culture than vertical than, than yeah. we are now. So that is definitely like a, an, an attachment theory thing, like a Gordon Neufeld thing, stuff that yeah. really resonates with me when I'm working with teenagers is things like the Gordon Neufelds and dance Eagle approaches and, uh, and about how to like attune to these children who are way more peer oriented than, than parent child oriented. That's for sure. One of the things that I've heard you say on a, another podcast was that before we had these devices in our pockets, there was drama at school. Mm -hmm. There was peer relationships at school, whether they were positive or negative. And then you could come home and for a lot of kids, home could be a safe place away from some of that drama. And the, the switch has yes. happened. This was kind of profound for me that all of a sudden home is not necessarily that safe drama free zone even though as parents were trying to make it that, that that device is dinging. And, and I think you commented that you'll have kids who will be in a session with you for an hour and then have 60 snaps when they pick their phone up again. Yes. And you were describing my yep. kids like in an hour mm -hmm. when they get their phone back, there's 60 snaps in there. It is drama 24 hours a day now. And do you have any words of wisdom or advice for parents, myself included, that can help when you know you can't take that phone away from them constantly. I know it's a lifeline. It will cause more issue than not to say you're not allowed a phone during the week or you know something like that. But how do we make our kids feel that they can be drama free? How do, they, how do we help kids choose to be drama free, even though it's right there dinging in their pocket? 
Yeah. And you know what? That absolutely. I remember that conversation and that podcast. And that has to do with, yeah, putting that pure orientation and that phone stuff together. And I think it's, I think you're hitting the nail right on the head when you're talking about, you can't like take it away. Like you, you want them to be more parent child attached than pure oriented. And you're going to take their phone away. Like right. that is not going to help. Right. But if they know you're coming from an authoritative place, not an authoritarian place, like those are two very different things that as parents, we sometimes don't know the difference of authoritarian is like a dictator. You're an authoritarian where it's like, I'm the boss. You have to listen to me. And that's that. And teenagers aren't going to want that. They're going to be rebellious. Like, like literally, like it's like that psychological reactance. Like there's, there's terms for this. We learn about this. They're going to want to push away from that. But if it's authoritative and they feel like they're being understood and they're like, Hey, you know what? My, my parent is the boss. They're the parent, but they also care. And they're doing this for the right reason. You might, and I say might, cause it always doesn't always work you might get through to them where they're like, okay, this, this makes sense. Parent or mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, whoever it is, or my guardian thinks that at 9 PM, I should plug my phone in and leave it in the kitchen. And, and that's, and that's a good idea that we can come up with together. Maybe that works, right? So you definitely need to set the stage where they're feeling attuned to. And I don't think attunement is actually in the dictionary, <laughs> but um, it is a thing we talk about yep. developmental attachment theory and being attuned is just showing them that they're understood. So they, they get the four S's from the parent child relationship, secure to go out in the world and try things. And they have unconditional love to come back to, which they can't get from friends. Friends are conditional. Um, and then they're supposed to feel safe around us. So they got safe and they got secure. Soothe this, something's going wrong. But then number one S, seen. If they can feel like they're being seen, and I think that's a Dan Siegel thing, um, then they're like, okay, I'm being understood. I can buy into this. But if they're like, you just don't get it, mom, you just don't get it, dad, then they're not going to buy into the whole, let's plug your phone in and, and take a break from it for the rest yeah. of your night. So you have to be authoritative. Not authoritarian. Yeah. Yes. Um <laughs> And the other thing that in my experience, it's been like when I'm trying to get my kids to eat a new food, you have to engage mm. that conversation sometimes five, 10, 15 times because they didn't eat it this time does not mean I'm never trying it again. So having mm -hmm. the conversation with my kid about their cell phone and some boundaries around the cell phone and the influence mm -hmm. the cell phones having on them and their mood and their mental health, that conversation can't happen mm -hmm. once. It has to happen again and again in order for them to get that I'm coming from a place where I care. I'm not just trying to put my foot down one time and you better mm -hmm. listen to me. No, I really do care what how this goes mm -hmm. and shakes out. We're going to have this more than once. Not that nagging conversation, just the I care conversation. But easier said than done. I have lost my mind on done. when I realize mm -hmm. it's three in the morning and they are still on their phone and I lose it. That's, <laughs> that's normal. It happens. I don't want yeah. it to happen, but it's happened. Yeah. The the, it's easier that. said than done, but the way to set the stage, the way to set the stage is starting now with yeah. smaller things where you're not giving advice. You're just showing them you understand. Yeah. So when your 12 year old comes home from school and is like, oh, the little girls in my class are being mean to me or the, the boys in my class are being mean to me instead of saying like, well, did you tell them this or I would have did this 
Or um, what did you do to cause that? Because you're trying to problem solve it is just to be like, oh, that sounds hard. And just show them that you get it and say like, if you need anything, let me know. I understand that that's tough. And so if you start setting the stage that you get it, then when you talk conversations around cell phones, they already know that like you understand them and their problems. Not that you're always just trying to problem solve. So that might be the way to start setting the stage from an early age. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to ask you about working with teenagers and the bigger purpose in life or gratitude. There's so much research out there right now about how gratitude and having meaning and having purpose is really important and fundamental for mental wellness, which is what we want for our Mm -hmm. teenagers who are, I mean, the... The statistics of mental illness is going is skyrocketing with our kids. And so how do we get kids to see that bigger picture when they have such a narrow focus right now? How do you have purpose when it's like minute by minute, peer by peer is is what their radar's on? And you want them to think gratitude and you want them to think purpose and the bigger why, because that's important, but they don't get it. They're not much they're I don't even know if they're mature enough to actually get that. What do you, what's your thoughts on all that and how can we help them? <laughs> yeah, that is a really tough question. I think lots of us want to know like how to do that. And it might vary from kid to kid. Um, I do work with hundreds of teenagers. And one thing that I see a lot of, and like it might not be the best answer or the only answer. There's always many answers to every question out there. But I am seeing a really stark contrast between our, their ability to like go towards goals that, are, that mean delayed gratification because we're in an immediate gratification culture. Like I don't even think we can like go to the bathroom without bringing our phone up and like right. scrolling. Like we need like immediately like this has got to be good for us. Like why is fast food like besides being yummy why is it so <laughs> so popular cuz you get it right away right like making yeah. a healthy meal takes a while we do less of that these days cuz it takes some time so much easier to hit skip the dishes and that's fast and easy right so we're in a very immediate gratification culture and i don't know how many teenagers i talk to they're in grade you know 11 maybe grade 12 and they're like i don't know i think i want to do this but it's going to take like two years or four years and i'm like geez if it takes four years you're gonna be 22 years old you're gonna have so much time left and they're like oh it's just i don't want to do that i want to take something that takes a weekend right like they want a weekend course not a degree and i'm like i get that i felt the same way when i started but i did my first degree i started it in 2003 that was 20 years ago they're like 20 years ago and i'm like yeah i did this from this year to this year this from this year to this year, this from this year to this year. And then when I finished and I was a a psychologist, I was thinking, man, I'm way behind schedule because I did all these things. And then I found out I was still young for my field, right? So like, guys, you you can go through these things, find a purpose that takes a little bit of work and things that you actually, anything worth having are things that are hard to, harder to obtain. If it's worth it, if it's something that not everybody has, right, then it actually takes some work to get to yeah. it. And then it makes it makes you more have more gratitude that you have it right. Like it, it has more value when it took something to get. Um, and so, like, I try to I try to get through them on that. And, and, it, and it's hard because at their age, 
you're 13, 14 years old, you're not, or, or 18 years old, or even in your 20s, you're not seeing that like, hey, you know, four years is a drop in the bucket. It doesn't seem like it. But when you start getting older, yeah. like, it doesn't seem that long. I'm like, yo, 2003, that, that 20 years went by fast. Well, and, and so I'm like sometimes finding... explain to them that it takes work. Yeah. Teenagers that I'm dealing with, they're not, they're not able to see that there's a four year plan. It's like this semester feels too long. I'm just going to quit now. Like it's, yes, it's weeks. They can't put in weeks, months of that, you know, let's string five days together and see how you feel about school. If you put all five days back to back to back. No, I don't think I can do that. Like five days is a stretch, let alone a four-year degree like that. There's no way I'm talking to kids about four-years degree yet because we're trying to like get a week out of us. The immediate gratification um, is really hard. Yes. And I'm just, yeah, it's it's a bit of a struggle. They don't see that this five days of school will go into the next into the next, which will calm you. You know, that'll get you your semester. Two semesters get you a grade. But yep. that's too big of a so picture you have for to some build kids. up confidence. Yeah. So they need to build up their confidence. They need to be yeah. able to build up their resiliency. Um, building resiliency is hard. You have to yes. try things and fail and stick to it, right? And until yeah. they do that, they won't be resilient. Like, yes. even from a very young age with, with our children, if they're four years old and they're crying that they can't have something or like, oh, what's the example? Gordon Newfeld used an example where it was like, if mom's going away to a conference and the kid cries, don't go away to the conference. And we're like, okay, I'll stay. Um, oh, no. Well, they didn't build any resiliency, right? But if mom goes away to the conference for two nights, they cry about it. Mom comes home. They're like, oh, look at I lived through that. They've just built some resilience. It's called tears of futility in the Newfeld approach. They cry about it. Didn't make a difference. Mom came home. They go, oh, look at I handled it, right? So they need to start learning what they can handle what they can yeah. get through and they don't think they can show up to school five days in a row we got to start with some very attainable goals right we got to start with something attainable like let's string two days together in a row holy smokes you did it good job yeah. right um but it has to be very attainable because like more attainable than you think because if they miss it then oh, i missed it see i can't do this it's no different than when I'm helping people learn how to work out. They're like, I'm going to work out at 6 a.m. Monday to Friday before work. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're going to yes. fail and you're going to drop it. And they're like, I've done that before. So I tell them, choose one day. And then they choose Monday. And I'm like, when's the best time? Well, after work. So now they're doing Monday at 4.30. And I'm like, just do that for a month. Yes. Just make it Monday at 4.30 for four weeks in a row. And then you can add a second day. And every single person chooses Friday because it's the end of the week. And then I say, are you actually going to work out after work on Friday? And they go, no, probably not. That's a bad choice. And they move it to Thursday. <laughs> I've had this conversation a few dozen times. And then they just do Monday and Thursday for a month or two. And then they're like, wow, look at me. I can work out twice a week. And then they end up adding the third one all on their own. So yeah. we have to build up like with these, with these kids too, these attainable goals. I so agree. And I see the comparison between every goal setting, um, situation that we, whether it's, I I do a lot of nutrition work. So whether it's setting a goal regarding nutrition, whether Mm. it's setting a goal for our, with kids about going to school or completing a class or whether it's goals about people starting in the gym or mindset goals, or, you know, whatever it is small and obtainable 
don't rip the bandaid. We don't have to make some big dramatic change. The little ones will stack and be a much easier achievable goal. Um, and you let us right into very nicely talking about kids mm -hmm. with learning about determination and adversity, success, failure. I find that when I have kids in the gym, it's, they're so natural, the lessons. They're so, mm -hmm. there's so many teachable moments when I get to work with kid in sport and my kids are in sports. And so those teachable moments happen there as well. What is some advice that I can take as a counselor or we parents listening to this, that mm -hmm. kids are not into the sports because not all kids are into, into sports or have the privilege of being in sport, mm -hmm. but we still need them to be resilient and we need them to feel successes and failures and all the rest of it. Do you have anything for us for the kids that are not able to be in those extracurricular kinds of learning environments? Mm -hmm. I think that's way more challenging. I am such a fan of sport. I like, I really like, um, like the individual sport stuff, like a combat sport, for instance, you put a kid in wrestling, they go out on that mat themselves. Yeah. Either they won or they lost based on how they prepared. It's a team, but it's very personal accountability. Yes. And there's a lot of, oh, I lost, but I got to stick to it. And the next time I win. Um, trying to build that outside of sports is difficult, but every kid has interests. And every kid's different, but every kid has interests. And it doesn't have to be competitive with somebody else. It can be competitive with self. I meet a lot of kids that are like, why am I coming to see this guy? He's a sports guy. And I'm like, hey, like whatever you're into, we'll do, right? right. Uh, well, at least I, say, I feel like they're thinking that. They're like, well, I'm not an MMA fighter, right? But maybe they like reading. Like who knows what it is that they're into. But they can compete with, with self, not in the fact where they're like competing, but where they're not comparing themselves to other kids. They're not saying, can I read as good as, you know, Jenny in my class or or is, is Greg over there a better painter than me? But like themselves, get them engaged with art. Like, you know, many kids I work with that are so into art, they're way better at it than me. And I'm yeah. like, there's so many different types of intelligence. And yeah. so when they feel like intelligence is only academics, when they feel like, you know, being good at something is only being good at a sport or being good at school, it's so important to be like, no, art is awesome. You're way better. They draw so much better than me. Yeah. And they'll look at it and they'll critique it and they'll actually be in competition with themselves about, you know, I could have did a better job with this. And I'm like, well, it looks really good to me because it's way better than what I can do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But they're like, no, nah, I was upset with this one. And they'll work into doing another one. And they'll be like really excited to show me. They take, you know, they take pictures on their phone and show it to me or they bring their art book in. And you'd be surprised the resilience they build by putting hours into drawing or hours into painting. Um, I think it's important to engage them at their interests because yeah. you can't force them into a sport as much as I really think sports are important. Well, <laughs> you know, I agree with you because I'm big into athlete, like into fitness. Um, I don't pay, play a sport, mm -hmm. but I do CrossFit. And the thing about CrossFit yeah. in my world is everybody's got a thing. So in CrossFit, mm -hmm. you can be a weightlifter or a gymnastics or a cardio junkie. You can, you know, mobility matters. You can um, do some of the lifts and not all of the lifts. Like everybody's kind of got a thing. So you might not be the best Olympic lifter, but you can deadlift like crazy. 
And it doesn't take me long. doesn't matter whether you are five or 85. It doesn't take people long when they come into my gym to figure out what's their thing. What are you good at? Like my one lady who's 85 years old, she's probably the best skipper out of all the people in my silver fit. She's super coordinated and she never misses a beat and she can skip a hundred skips without missing. It's Mm -hmm. her thing. Everybody wants to be as good as she is at the skipping. Like, you know, everyone has a thing when they get to be. Mm -hmm. And that's why I try to, even the kids that tell me they're not into sports and tell me they're not interested in working out because I so truly believe in that physical component to health. When the gym Mm -hmm. is empty and there's no judgment to be had, no one is going to see you do anything. I love being able to find out what that kid's thing Mm -hmm. is because I believe Mm -hmm. everybody has one. And I ask it within the first session I do with all my clients, actually. Um, The first things I do is I find out who they live with. I get a few words for each person, right? So I know kind of like the gist of what that relationship's like. And I ask everybody about what, what, what do you like? What are you good at? Yep. Um, like special people. Um, if you could, you know, change something. And I, I do it intentionally. I ask the certain questions because they fit the buckets in reality therapy, which works really good with kids. And it's what I used when I was in grad yep. school. Um, <laughs> because, right? So one of the buckets in there is the power yep. bucket. And that doesn't mean power over people. That means like your own personal empowerment. Yes. So when I have a a kiddo that's a little low on the self-esteem, they often tell me nothing. And I'm like, not surprised. I'll be like, what are you good at? And all people, oh, I'm really good at hockey and I'm blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this kid's got no self-image issues at all here, right? Because they're telling me all about the things that they're great at. When I have another kid who's sitting there and I'm like, what do you go? Oh, I'm not really good at anything. Like, I'm not good at school. And then I found out like maybe they are excellent at art and they just didn't consider it or or you name it, or maybe we need to find out what that thing is. But I always ask people what they're good at. So I can see, well, you need to do more of that to increase that power bucket because that increases that self-esteem. And you know what? That's going to increase that resiliency. So actually, like it all chains together here. It does. (laughs) We we talk buckets all the time around here. And I put (laughs) a magic wand at least once a day. So (laughs) Ah, I think I'm asking you a wave the magic wand question. Uh, But before I do that question, I wanted to ask you about kids in services. So we are services. We are who kids Mm -hmm. get to come and see either because they get to be in our sport or they're coming to see us for counseling. So we get to see Mm -hmm. kids who are in services. Do you have advice for parents who can't get their kids into services for whatever reason? We're rural. So getting kids into anything beyond just coming to see me, that next level of psychiatry or, you know, when I, I mean, I have parents who have had kids who are suicidal and they've gone to the hospital, but they haven't been able to go that next level. Like it's, it happens a lot. The school Mm -hmm. faces it on the daily We're Accessing services is a real challenge. What is the what is the advice, the best thing that we can as as counselors, what can we share with people who are listening today when getting services, getting your kid into counseling is seems like it's a long like they want immediate gratification just like the kids do. This is a scary situation mm-hmm. and no one can help me today. What can parents be doing? either preventatively or in those moments where my kid can't get services, I can't get them into counseling and I don't know what else to do to meet them. How do we talk to parents about the buckets or, 
you know, through this podcast, can we use this moment to give parents a, a one tool? Well, if I could give them one tool, it would be it would be that parent child attachment piece. Okay. Um, what does that mean? Because I'm going to just pretend feeling. I don't know. I'm going to pretend I don't know. What does a parent child attachment piece mean? I don't know what that means. Yeah. So when the parent in life, the parent is the alpha, hopefully, hopefully that's what we get. And alpha doesn't mean what it means like on Instagram these days. Right. It doesn't mean you, you look really buff or whatever. Alpha is moved to take care of those that depend on them. Yep. And so we need to find like that alpha. And then we have the dependent, the child. And so shoring up where it feels like when that child is in need, that parent can just rise up and be like, I'm here for you. Not, you know, telling you do this, do that, not trying to fix, but attuning, 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 attuning. And when we don't have that for like, when not just the parent attuning and saying, Hey, I understand you having earned attachments come into play, whether it be teachers or school counselors yeah. or coaches, like you, you name it. Right. So sometimes when I'm talking about services, well, a, I'm telling parents to be persistent. My child has an ailment. I'm phoning these clinics like, hey, any news, any news, any news? Like you'd be surprised, right? Yeah. I think something, my mom is like this, the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it, it works. Yeah, yep. it does. Right. Because like, yeah, things are very booked, but when, when you're staying on it, there is, there is more chance that you might get into something that you need. It's just the way it is sometimes we need to be persistent, right? Not, yeah. Don't give up on that. So I would say parents be persistent and also work on that parent child relationship where they're just feeling like they're understood. That's it. Don't, don't try to fix the problems. Attune, 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 work from the inside out here. Right. And so I think that's a big deal. And then when we're talking about accessing other resources, like there is other resources out there for us as therapists, like youth services we can get a hold of. And there's other things like Saskatoon has eGADS and there's the kids help phone. Like there is things out there that if you do a, you can look for them, you can find them, but bringing in other people, not all growth happens in therapy. Like, exactly. to be honest, if yeah. everyone just had a, a grandmother or a grandfather or a coach that they really resonate with, that they can talk to awesome. Good. Like you don't need me. You can talk to grandma. That's fantastic that'd be great yeah and so trying to find relationships that can be parent child mentor child earned attachments so not a parent child attachment but one that they earn maybe it's their uncle maybe it's their auntie maybe it's going to 4-h right or in rural sask maybe it's joining up with 4-h and finding some friends but not just friends but mentors so i think that's really important i did write something way back in grad school there uh, for the International Journal of Evidence-Based Coaching and Mentorship. And it was about getting at-risk youth into things like combat sports, not just so that they could be accountable and, and work for themselves and, and, and accomplish and all that resilient stuff, but also so they could have the mentorship opportunities and the vertical transmission of culture. So yes. I think finding other things like 4-H or like volleyball team, you'd be surprised how that changes the lives of youth. Yeah. It really does. When I hear a teenager, the volleyball team is great. They have friends and they really love the coach that they're under or they changed. Maybe they went from grade nine or eight into grade nine and they really loved a certain couple of teachers at the high school that they could talk to. It's a game changer, game changer. So it's not always just counselors. It's Absolutely. about, it's about alphas. It's about alphas in general. Yeah, yeah. it is. 
And sometimes as parents, um, I know because of the kind of parent that I am, I'm always looking to see if I can help my kid have other impacting mm. relationships. I don't want to be one of the, I don't want to have the ultimate. I, I am the alpha. I am in charge. And my kids are aware mm. of that for sure. But I really value the fact that I oh, want my kids to have relationships with other people, <laughs> with coaches. Like it's been, it's been purposeful because my one daughter, we realized my husband coached her soccer. My husband coaches her volleyball. I coach her Olympic lifting that it was like, we need to get this kid a coach. Mm. Like she has a dance teacher that she, a couple of dance mm -hmm. teachers that are really important to her. And during COVID when we didn't have those relationships, yeah, I noticed the difference. Like. It's mm -hmm. important for our kids to have relationships with other important people and in that mentoring role. Yes. And uh, yeah, we thought we were doing a good mm -hmm. thing by always volunteering to be our kids, this, that, and the other thing. And then she's 15 years old and has never had a coach outside of a parent. Yeah. 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 Um, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think it's really good for them. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm going to ask you my wave the magic wand question. So if you could wave the magic wand and make a change or improvement to our education system for our kids, what would you do? <laughs> I know. Not political. Uh, it have, you can just well, wave the magic wand. I used, I used to be a teacher. Did you know that? I taught yes, school for six I years. I don't know if I mentioned that. You yeah. did. Well, I, I yeah. So that. like, <laughs> so there's lots of things that could be changed as far as like, curriculum you know all that kind of stuff right of course but you know what to keep with this like attachment framework um i i would love and i know it's easier said than done of course but it would be amazing if these kids could not just be like 25 kids of the same age in one room if they could have it where <clears throat> if i could wave that magic wand and, and, and it would work in an ideal way because i know every any system you go to is going to have its flaws yeah. But if there could be a horizontal or a vertical transmission where there was six-year-olds and eight-year-olds and 12-year-olds and 16-year-olds in the same room with a couple of different adult mentors and not just one stressed teacher that has 37 12-year-olds at once to themselves. Yes. I've been hearing crazy numbers. Like I remember being <laughs> no. in like in a grade two room and being like, oh, there's 25 kids. It's a lot. I work with teachers in my office where they're teaching grade six or seven and we're talking about 30 some kids. And yeah. I'm like, okay, so you got all these 13 year olds that are going to other 13 year olds with their problems. Yeah. Do you think a 13 year old should be talking to another 13, 13 year old about gender and sexuality and like uh, intrusive thoughts? Like they're like, yeah. I'm meeting teenagers. They're like, oh, well, my go-to person is my 13 year old classmate to talk about like suicidal ideation. I'm like, yep. no, <laughs> it shouldn't be happening. Right. So like, ideally I would have all these grades. I'd have it mixed up where we could help each other out in a different way like that. Yeah. And these teachers would be more broad where they could teach many things. I know that would be a complete headache to, to get in place. But that transmission of culture, and it kind of just goes back to just like we're saying with the mentors and things like that, right? Is like it needs to be coming top down instead of horizontal. Yeah. So that would That's be my magic. That's a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I love that. Yeah. The one room school situation. And 
um, before a few years ago, my husband and I, we have this great big space here at the, I only rent a little bit of space for the gym. The other half is an old grocery store that is still not being utilized for anything. And at one point, my big dream was to create the K2 classroom. And I just mm. wanted to create a space for kids. What it didn't matter if you were eight or 10 or 12 or 16, mm -hmm. but you needed a place to go to school and there needed to be a teacher to be brought. And we would provide outdoor ed activities. We live in this beautiful valley. There's lots of activities, mm -hmm. lots of hands-on learning. Um, you know, there's kids that are going away for hockey and then coming back mid-semester and struggling, but if they're struggling because they're having to do that one math class and then not again till the next day, whereas if they came back and do just do math for three hours, they might be able to actually click and figure it out that day. So the K2 classroom, I wrote a business plan. I thought that was great. And it was very much the one room school uh, model. Oh, isn't that funny? Yeah. Well, imagine though, imagine you're a 10 year old and this guy who went away to play AAA hockey yeah. comes in halfway through the school year and is, and is someone you can talk to like, exactly. wow, how, how huge would that be? Right. Yes. So, that I, just the whole there's, there's and then I just feel like there's kids that develop such great esteem when they get to show off what they're good at. So what if mm -hmm. the kid that's good at science is helping the kid that needs to learn some science. Mm -hmm. That the confidence that that builds is far greater than going that next level or being engaged mm -hmm. in classes that are so not gratifying for them. And I mean, I know we need to work our weaknesses and all those sorts of things, but I just mm -hmm. saw this one room school as an opportunity for so much mm -hmm. growth in our education system versus, mm -hmm. you know, the box that they're currently in and under the, the curriculum restraints, like my one room school would, yes, we'd meet provincial standards, but they'd be <laughs> really flexible, really flexible provincial cool. standards so that we could have a lot more fun with it. <laughs> oh, it was so fun. My gosh, I can't imagine. So no, and it, it just, it's just really important when I think about even like behaviorally, like the hierarchy system that's set up. That's why I really advocate about combat sports gyms. I, I'm standing in the front ready to teach a jujitsu class and there's there's me and then I look at the front of my line and there's like a couple of brown belts and purple belt females up at the front and I'm like how good for women to come in and do jujitsu seeing them poof at the top of the hierarchical structure right and right. then when you're an at-risk youth what do you need you need a hierarchy of people who are alphas right and so like it would be interesting to me to see a 13 year old who's struggling have a good influence 16 year old 17 year old an adult above them yes. because when they're an at-risk youth they're like i know it all and no one's taking care of me because i have to take care of me and they they like they're at their own top of their hierarchical structure for themselves because yes. they don't have a parent or a mentor or someone who's stepping in that place it's yeah. so important and yeah i advocate for that 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 we need those mentor people those people up top so that's why i would do that magic wand yeah. <laughs> i know i like have other problems too but i'd sort them <laughs> out <laughs> No, I, think, I I love that your answer was exactly where I have been daydreaming about. And, and that dream is on the back burner for now. I can't be put into too many different directions mm -hmm. right at this moment, but it's there mm -hmm. for someday. Yeah. Well, that's funny because we did not coordinate that. <laughs> we did not talk about this ahead of time. I was totally no. putting you on the spot to see yeah. what else is out there because I, I feel frustrated sometimes mm -hmm. with the the mm -hmm. amount of valuable, hardworking awesome educators there are in this province and yet mm -hmm. the level of 
uh, frustration and exhaustion that they feel. And Mm -hmm. we could talk healthcare too. Like, I mean, I got fabulous nurses and doctors that are also in a system that is broken, Mm -hmm. but I'm really passionate about the education system. And so I just was putting you on the spot to see if there was another creative idea out there of how we could wave magic wands, but you you had the same idea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Great minds think Awesome. So as we wrap up this episode Mm -hmm. of my Monday Matters podcast, tell me what you are, what are you hoping for, dreaming for when it comes to, you have an eight and a five-year-old and you want Mm. to get them through those teenage years. What are the aspirations that you are hoping as a parent? How are you wanting to parent not what do you want your kids to turn into or be, mm-hmm. but what are your goals as a parent as you transition into their teenage years? Easy. All I want them to know is that my love is unconditional. Because yeah. when they got the peers, if you're like, hey, I'm one of the hockey guys, and then all of a sudden you're like, I, maybe I don't like hockey, I'm a tennis player. Well, maybe they're not your friends anymore, right? They're not unconditional. Or if you've got a, I don't know, high school girlfriend and then you're like, I don't know, maybe act the way that she wants you to. Maybe she breaks up with you. She's not unconditional. Those are conditional relationships. But as a parent, it's like no matter what you do, no matter how you screw up because you got that teenage brain going on, um, no matter how you fail, you fail a class or you get last place in the jujitsu tournament, like unconditional. I love you no matter what. So you can always come to me about everything. And if they know that, and if I'm doing a good job of showing that I understand and I'm attuned and I'm not just going to be some authoritarian that's like, listen to me, even though I didn't explain to you why you should be, and I'm not demonstrating that I care, but if I'm authoritative and they just know, they just know that it's unconditional, then like that's that I'll be doing what I need to do. Exactly. And because we know about attachment theory, Mm -hmm. it does, it, it isn't that it's as easy as it said, or what am I trying to say? It is as easy as we're making it mm. sound. Love your kids unconditionally because ultimately it makes the biggest difference in their mm-hmm. health. And so mm-hmm. um, we don't have to be providing all the bells and whistles. It, it doesn't, we don't have to make it more complicated than unconditional love. That attachment piece is critical and and you can start it anytime. Sometimes parents are like, but I think I've, I've messed this up already. No, (laughs) no. If (laughs) you can go and you can develop relationships with people Mm -hmm. that become unconditional, even if it hasn't been unconditional prior to. So knowing what you know, you will be able to do this. But if you are listening to me and you feel like maybe my kid doesn't know that it's unconditional, like maybe I'm screwing this up. It's not too late. It is never too late to develop an attachment. Mm-hmm. And yeah. parents can take accountability and say, you know, hey, teenager, like when you would say this, I would say that because I thought that's what parents do. That's how I was parented. So I thought I was supposed to fix it and give you advice and tell you to stop screwing up and do it this way instead. You know what? I learned that I just need to understand you better and be here for you. Yeah. They will hear that. I have had parent-child meetings where I've talked to parents about this attachment stuff. And then we've met and the teen's like, okay, this person can be 
this person can be my person now. Now mom yep. or dad or whoever can be my go-to person. It doesn't have to be the teenager in the class. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, I know that I told you we usually do a 30-minute podcast. I'm <laughs> sure everyone is still here with us at 43 minutes because it's been fantastic to visit with you. Um, I think we have lots in common. So thank you so much for your time today. And I will let you enjoy the rest of your Tuesday afternoon because I know you have clients back to back to back. Yeah. Yes, I do. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on. It's like, yeah, it means the world that someone wants to talk to me and Absolutely. just get into the stuff that I've learned. Like, when is your next match? Is that what we call it? A match? When do you fight again? Oh, for me individually? Yeah. Oh gosh. I don't know if I will. Getting ready at the professional level takes so much time. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yep. I get it. I get it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Take care. Oh, thank you very much. Great thank to meet you. Thanks for listening to Monday Matters with Holly Cochran. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to Monday Matters, leave her a review, and share this episode on your social media. Should you have any questions about what you listen to or want more info, reach out and send her a message at K2 Health with Holly on Instagram and Facebook. She loves hearing from her listeners. See you next time.